So, 20th of June, here we are. Happy Father's Day. Our invitation has been, over the last number of weeks, centered around this thing of our vision. Our vision is to go make disciples. And there is one brilliant way of making disciples, and that's through fathers and mothers. And so we are going to celebrate fathers today and this evening. And as we do that, and all the things that I share, it's as applicable to mothers as well. And this is applicable to those who have children of their own or for those who don't have any children at all. There is a desperate need in our culture and society right now for fathers and mothers. Children without fathers are like ships without a rudder. They're lost at sea. Some of you uh, know that I've uh, made a return to teaching uh, this year. I've, I've been in back in Carrick Fergus Academy, uh, some part-time days. And uh, any of you who are involved in any level of education, you will know and you will see firsthand that there is a crying, desperate need for good, good people to be in those environments. And it's not just those who are teachers. It's anyone and everyone who is working alongside children and young people in all manner of contexts. There are so many children needing good mums, good dads, people who are going to steer them in the right direction, love them, champion them, etc., etc. And sadly, many millions across the world don't have that. They don't have that person. And there will be many of us in this room and watching online that you bear the scars and you, you, you live or have lived with the pain of the loss of, of not quite having uh, the right investment, the right love that's come through from uh, parenthood. But we have a Father in heaven, and we have godly fathers and mothers given to us in all shapes and sizes in the here and now. And we want to watch a video. If you're watching this online, it's been posted on Facebook, and you can watch it later. But for those of us who are here present, we want to uh, just watch this two-minute video that celebrates fathers. Dear Mordecai, here's to you on Father's Day. You cared for Esther as if she were your own daughter. You committed to her and helped her see her place in God's purpose. Happy Father's Day to you and to all who encourage children to reach their full potential. Dear David, Here's to you on Father's Day. You made space at your table for Mephibosheth and welcomed him into your home. You assured him that he mattered and made sure he was cared for throughout his life. Happy Father's Day to you and to all who make space for those society often shut out. Dear Prophets, here's to you on Father's Day. You had the courage to call out injustice. You spoke up for the poor, the oppressed, and the vulnerable. You pushed for change and you brought a message of hope. Happy Father's Day to you and to all the thinkers, speakers, writers, and doers pursuing justice and influencing change. Dear Joseph, here's to you on Father's Day. You stood by Mary and loved and raised Jesus as your son. Happy Father's Day to you and to every dad, stepdad, granddad, foster dad and guardian who are raising children with love. Dear Jairus, here's to you on Father's Day. You went to great lengths to help your daughter when she was sick. 
You ran to seek help from Jesus, refusing to give up even when those around you said it was too late. Happy Father's Day to you and to all who choose hope where others see hopelessness. Dear Paul, here's to you on Father's Day. You are a spiritual father to Timothy, a mentor, and you pointed him to Jesus. You helped him lead others. Happy Father's Day to you and to every teacher, mentor, youth worker, and coach who are helping others to grow. Here's to you all on Father's Day. You are making a difference. So in many ways, this two-minute video says it all, really. We champion, we look at all these biblical characters of all different kinds of fatherly kind of relationships that they had with these people and how they made a difference. And how to all of us here present, that again, regardless of whether we have our own paternal children or not, we all have the ability and the responsibility to be fathers and mothers. But first, we need to know our own identity as a son or a daughter by the Father. And I want to just read just a few verses from John 14, and it really expresses the relationship that Jesus, the Son, had with the Father. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Anyone? Hmm. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. The verses preceding these are the well-known verses that were often read at uh, funerals. When uh, Jesus says, I am going to prepare a room for you. I'm going to be with the Father. And it's often likened to, the, to, to those as Jesus has gone before us to heaven to return to be with the Father, re, uh, preparing a place for us that we would be with him in his presence with him forever and ever. And so Jesus is sort of saying, I'm going there, and that's the way. And Thomas says, you know, where are you going? How, how do we know where you're going? How's the, the way? How are we going to get there? And Jesus says that no one can come to the Father except through him. It's a bit like, you know, if your name's not on the door, you're not coming in. It's like coming to the door. You've got to know Jesus to come to the Father because it's Jesus who takes you to the Father. There's a whole theological thing there which we haven't got time to kind of get into. But Philip pipes up, which is really interesting. You'd think this would be the kind of question that Peter would ask with his two left feet and his big open mouth. And he says, Lord, show us the Father. Well, that's enough. But Jesus replies, possibly in this tone, but it might have been a different tone. I'm completely ad-libbing and filling in the gaps. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. 
what you've observed in me, what you have heard through the words that I have spoken, through the way that I've interacted and treated people. If you've seen those in me, then you've seen the Father, because I am like the Father, because I am the Son. And we have read elsewhere, I only do what I see the Father doing. And it's again, it's all stuff that we've talked about, stuff that we know. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. How did he know? Because he spent time with the Father. He spent time in his presence. And if we want to know the Father and be known by him, we need to go to Jesus, look to him, and learn from him. As I was preparing this, I was thinking of that, that image of the father or maybe the grandfather with a little child kind of on their knee, just simply being in the presence of the father, not necessarily even having a conversation, but just being safe and secure. And that's the kind of relationship that God continually beckons and invites and longs us to have with him. As I was busy preparing this, I kind of felt that kind of conviction and and kind of put the iPad down and, and began to just wait in the presence of the Lord and just say, okay, God, what do you want to say to me? Just going to spend time with you. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to call upon, I'm not going to ask you for stuff. I'm just going to be in your presence. And just by being with him, just receiving that sense of peace. He's got my back. He is mighty to save. He gives me just by simply spending time in his presence. Um, and over many years, I've experienced that deep sort of inner healing that's come from just being in his presence. Jesus was like the Father because he spent time with the Father. And we as fathers need to be intentional with our sons and with our daughters to the time in which we spend. I've asked Martin McGill to come on up, if you would, right now. Marty has uh, been part of, his church, part of our church with his wonderful family, uh, for, I'm going to guess, 18 months. It's probably more like two years, but that's not important. The important thing is I've witnessed and seen Marty uh, be incredibly intentional and deliberate with his own time with his kids. So, five minutes. The clock starts. Go. Yeah, we've got an eye. Okay, when Paul volunteered Hugo and I for this, um, it was at the men's group, and we're kind of surprised. I'm not sure if we're digging spuds or whatever, but the two of us agreed to it. And it was only when I got home, I started to realize, hang on, what is an intentional father? And the other thing that quickly hit me was, every time I've stood up in the church before, it's to talk to kids under 12. So this was completely new. So I started to think, well, what would I do? What can you use as an example? And for some reason, Chantel came to mind. So the first thing I did was grab a dictionary. And I looked up intentional. So somebody who is intentional does things on purpose. They're deliberate in what to do. And dad, in one of the, the newer dictionaries, is a male parent who is present and participates in the child's lives. And then I kind of realized, well, yeah, I am an intentional parent. Quick story, going back a few years, back to about 1975, Dad was heavily involved in the church, heavily involved with work, thought he was doing the best, kind of provide for us and do good. But one night, Mum was out, and I was left at my granny's. Three years old, Dad came to pick me up, and I didn't recognize him. I screamed the house down. I refused to go with him, because I didn't know he was my dad. 
And I kind of swore to myself, kind of promised to myself, that wasn't going to happen with my kids. And one of the things, when I was trying to think this over, uh, sitting praying, looking for inspiration, the old verse from Proverbs 22 came, train a child in the way he will go, and when he was older, he'll not forget. Well, being a martial arts instructor and working a lot with kids, one of the first things you need to do if you want to train somebody is be there. You need to be part, you need to be face to face, you need to be with them. And as a Christian dad, I want to be with them and I want to lead by example. Do I get it right? Sometimes, sometimes I fail, sometimes I get it right. I'm blessed, I love outdoors and my kids love outdoors too. You'll not find us in it at the weekend, we'll be camping, climbing, walking, anything. But everything I do, one of the things Paul was asking, what type of words do you use? What way do you talk to your kids? Well, I treat them like mini adults. Now, there is sometimes you can't use certain words or certain things, but I explain why we camp here, why we did this, why we do that. And it just means when they're older and it's their turn to be a dad, they can pass it on to their kids the way my dad did to me. Part of being a Christian father, I try to encourage the boys to read the Bible. Now, Lucas is 13. He's great. He's now got his own devotionals. He's over at Seoul at the moment, and he's very, very deep in his faith. Isaac's five, and no bedtime is complete without a Bible story. His two favorite Bible stories, as he calls them, are Goliath and, Goliath and King Dave, and Josh, that's Ren Collective, sorry, guys, um, and Joshua, and the battle of Jerry, Eri, 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 Co. He kind of extends it out a bit. But as we're reading it, and he, he's full of love, he really reads the stories. He'll, some nights, he's learning to read in school, so he's reading it back to me. But we'll also sit and explain what's in those stories. That in the story of King David, before he was king, that was a little boy who took on a big giant. It shows him he can have faith. He can stand up to somebody or something that is bigger than himself. And to keep a calm head, when all the other soldiers were running about panicking, this little shepherd boy, with faith in God, walked in and did the job. And the same with Joshua. Joshua kind of trusted in God. He was obedient. He did what he was told, and he had patience. Because he just kept walking and walking around the city until it fell down. And it's through those wee stories I try to impart to the kids. That it's not only an amazing story, but there's something here for you to take from it. And again, with the words, I often find with kids, sometimes it's not the words you use, it's the words you don't use. We have a couple of simple rules in the house. We don't use the word stupid. And there's other stuff like that we don't use. We try to think positive and get the kids to talk more positive. Now, bear with me. Paul has his iPad. I have an old-fashioned dad pad. Okay? Now, quite often, as a dad, I get it wrong. I've said this before, you know, with words, sometimes I say words a wee bit harsh, a wee bit quick, or the wrong tongue. You know, you're just in from work, you're knackered, and you have two kids fighting with each other. You say the wrong things. But one of the things I try to teach the boys that failure is okay. I do it, we all do it, we all fail. And as long as you take failure, if you take the word fail and break it down to first attempt in learning, if we learn from it, it's good. And all through the Bible and all the stories they read, God doesn't use perfect people. It's people who have failed, and quite often people who will fail again. And just leading from that, uh, just to kind of rhyme off here, it says, I'm, I'm an intentional dad. What is my intention for my boys? 
But not just my boys, with helping Jillian now with the rockets, with all the kids I'm involved with. It's trying to teach them things, you know, to show love when you're hurt, to show generosity when you're actually in need yourself, to show strength when you're weak. And somebody once told me, if necessary, if there's something you believe in, fight little for it, like the third monkey about to get in the ark and it just started to rain. All in all, when you look at it, the simplify it, I just want my children to be more Christ, to be more Christ-like. And I think as a Christian father, dad, as I said, a dad's just a parent or a parental person who spends time with the children and has an active part in their lives. So guys, all out there, you know, you don't have to be a biological dad. You can be the influence, you can be a positive influence. Uh, and there's just one wee quote from C.S. Lewis that keeps coming back to me. He says, children are not a distraction from the real work or for the most important work. Children are the most important work. So guys, I want to encourage you, take part, help out. We all have kids, you know, there's the old saying we usually use, it takes a village to raise a child. It does, and at the moment that village needs a lot of dads. Thank you. So good, thank you so much for sharing that. And one of the things that Marty demonstrates, um, one of the things that I found to be uh, challenging, and I know many other Christian mums and dads uh, you're so, we're so desperate to pass on our faith to our children. We want, it, we want them to, to grow and experience relationship with God for themselves. But, of course, like lots of parenting, we can never force that or make that happen. We can't do it for them. Uh, but sometimes it can be kind of quite challenging to be intentional about that and to do it in a really natural way. And uh, I just know that Marty does that so well and so deliberately and intentionally. And so if you're finding... You know, that's, that's difficult for you. Don't just go, oh, that's oh, dead on your man there's got it sorted. Go ask him. Go say, what, what are you reading with him? How does that work? Find out from him. Let him help in the parenthood. Ask Gillian, how does she do it? How does all the resources that she has, the other, all of our brilliant kids team, how do we pass on our faith? Because it can't be left just to bring them to church and hope they get it in rockets or whatever it is. It's up to mums and dads to be doing that deliberately ourselves. The Home for Good video, it highlighted a number of other biblical examples of other types of fatherhood. Mordecai was the uncle of Esther. Paul was the spiritual father to Timothy. And there were a number of other examples as well. One other that wasn't listed but I thought of was Jethro, was the father-in-law to Moses and was so instrumental and so encouraging and so helpful to Moses uh, with leading the people of Israel. These are the other kinds of fatherhood roles that can be found outside of the direct father-to-child relationships. And besides the relationship I had with my own father, I am indebted to many other father figures that have helped invest in my life and shape my life to the way that it is before. I've shared before my PE teacher, Mr. Brown, uh, my old pastor, Mike Pilavarchi, uh, other godly, wise men, uh, my own father-in-law, and other folks, other blokes, and some of them are in this church, other blokes that I often seek out just their attention 
just simply often just to be in their presence and be in their company, to learn from them, to draw wisdom from them. And I ask them deliberate questions, whether they understand or know what's going on or not, because I want to uh, learn and I want to know what it is, the heart of the Father, to be a better father uh, myself. One of these people that I value highly and uh, I respect greatly is a, is, a, is a mate of mine, and that's Hugo. And you're going to come up now, and you're going to share. And he has five minutes. Don't clap him yet. He hasn't said a word. He might be rubbish. <laughs> Wins the crowd every time. Go on, yeah. Oh, he'll switch you on. There you go. Better clapping now, because you may not afterwards, eh? I think Marty stole my script, so I'm going to... Um, yeah, so Paul did. He volunteered us. And um, I thought the best way into this would be to actually ask my little daughter, Faith, what she thinks makes a good father. Uh, so I'll try to decipher what she's written down here. Um, she's a wee list, look, she's hitting green there, highlighted and everything. And the first word she says is nice, of course. Um, then she says, thoughtful, F-O-T-F-U-L. <laughs> and the next word she says is, patient. And I thought, patient? All right, what does that mean, patient? She says, patient, you're very patient, daddy. Yeah, yeah. P-E-A-S-H-A-N-T. And then the next one makes me laugh even more. It says, helps me with my homework, and obviously not very well. <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, her mommy does all the homework stuff. I do the, I do the reading. Um, so then she gets, uh, um, gets me loads of toys. And for my fourth birthday, she, he got me a puppy called Lily. And really, 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 he is the best. And then at the bottom it says, he's really very good looking. <laughs> it doesn't say that. I just added that in. But anyway... Um, that's what my daughter thinks of me, and, and I hope my big daughter, who's somewhere down there, yeah, thinks the same. Um, and she wouldn't agree, maybe. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I, what I wanted to do, I wanted just to tell you a story. And Paul knows I don't know many stories. <laughs> uh, and um, th this was uh, many years ago, um, and it takes us back to Botine again. You know, that's where my life was for, for a few years. Um, and down to Hong Kong, and this is, this is I think, a, a very um, important view on being a father that a lot of people miss. Um, so I had this job uh, on this massive machine, the biggest um, privately owned cruise boat in Hong Kong, and they put it into my safe hands for some reason. Um, but. It belonged to a guy called Ma, the family, Ma family. Ma family were very, very rich, three banks. Um, they owned a lot of wharfage, and they lived on the peak. And if anyone's been to Hong Kong, they know where the peak is. It's, um, it's the highest point in Hong Kong, and Chinese culture is that if you, the higher up towards heaven you live, the better chance you have of getting in. Um, I, I, I don't know if that really works, but that's, how, that's what their culture is. Anyway, Mr. Ma had this fantastic... Um, boat 
and he had two little children. One was um, about nine and the other one was seven. A little boy and a little girl. But anyway, um, the first time they came down to the dock to get on board, um, I was watching them coming, very curious to see the family. Mr. Uh, Ma with his, you know, his 12-inch cigar, and the kids hanging behind with the, um, with the, the, the baby minders. Um, they looked very reluctant, and they came on board and reluctant to get on. They weren't that fussy. Um, so they came on, Mr. Ma, he with his friends, settled himself down. I got instructions to leave and go to a certain place. Off I went. And eventually uh, we got to anchor and I went down and said, uh, everybody well, la la. Um, would the children like to come up to the bridge? Um, so they came up, two lovely kids. And they stayed with me the whole time. And I thumb what we do with kids and that is I got some paper out and some crayons and they painted and they colored in and they drew. Um, as soon as we were finished, I stuck them on the wall. End of the trip, they went home. Next, next time down, instead of them reluctantly coming down to Docker, they were first down, waiting to get on, to get up to the bridge, to see me, to get painting and drawing and whatnot. And I just discovered that these kids are lovely kids, intelligent, and they just wanted to be in the company of the captain or someone who would give them time. Daddy was down with his mates, drinking and playing Mijon. And every trip was the same, and I started to decorate the bridge. So there's this very plush boat with all these paintings of the for the, of belonging to the kids, kids which I left up and never took them down and this went on for month after month and eventually um, uh, the, the kids would come up and I had a, a fabulous captain's chair which was remotely controlled, turn it, move it forward up and down all the rest and you could flick a switch and it would flick forward and the, it was known as the chair of doom. I could get the kids on it, pull them around, flick a switch and they get turfed off onto the floor thought it was fantastic. It was just entertaining children. That's all I was doing in the time I had. Mr. Ma came up one day, hadn't been up for months, and he says, uh, what are you doing? What's the, what's the kids doing? And I was just explaining, well, he came in and he looked around and he sort of was like flabbergasted. His lovely boat was covered in crayon paintings and toys and stuff. Um, now, this guy was wealthier than they could believe. The kids had, could have anything they wanted. But the one thing they didn't have was a daddy who spent time with them. He was more interested in spending time with his mates, playing me, John, drinking, smoking, probably making money that he didn't really need to make. He had so much. They had such a wealthy family. These children just needed a parent. Uh, Mommy had left the scene, and daddy was left with the kids. And my, just, my heart just went out to them, and I just felt that, you know, if the, he can't daddy them, then I certainly can. I have a bit of experience. I've been doing it since I was 21. And I know one of my babies is sitting at the back of the church, you know, so um, I've been fortunate in that respect. For a, I've been at it for 48 years. And, um, you know, I'm very lucky to have a second time around with faith. Um, so it's all new again, and it's, it's just as exciting this time as, as, as any other time. And just giving that daddy um, time to other people's kids has been something I've really uh, enjoyed doing. Um, where we live, there's a couple of families, and Daddy's he's flew the coop, and they gravitate towards our house, where they're made welcome. Kids are made welcome, and it, it isn't the first time that one of these kids has come down and played around the house, and then uh, and said to me, which is heartbreaking, I wish you were my daddy, and that breaks my heart. And what what do they need? They just need love, and they need attention, they need time. It's to spend time with your kids, which is, I think is the, is the main message I'm trying to get across. 
that children need you. They need, need you there. They don't need the money that you can produce by working, you know, all hours of the night. They, they need you, your company. That's what they long for. And I'm glad that, you know, I've been able to do that with kids in our local area um, as much as with when I was working abroad. Um, it always came down to giving the parents who owned these fantastic you know, boats and machines, giving their kids a lot of time that I could afford to give them and pass on my little bit of experience. And, um, and that's what being a daddy means I, to me, is giving your kids the time, the love, and the attention that really they need and they want. Thank you. Um, maybe three or so years ago, no, it was longer than that now, a while ago, I um, felt like God was speaking to me about uh, going back to the school environment as a volunteer, and that was to, uh, to do a bit of mentoring or coaching. And uh, it was an obedience to the Lord thing, because truth be told, I really didn't want to go back into school. <laughs> now I'm teaching, oh my goodness. But I, I, I obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I went in, and I said, ah, do you know, give us some, you know, give us two or three kids, and I'll spend a bit of time with them, one-to-one, -one, just chat, hang out, and kind of led from there. And uh, slowly that, that began to build a bit of momentum, and Hugo, alongside with uh, three or four others from our church, we're going in week in, week out, and we're, we were seeing up to about 20 children in total in Carrick Fergus Academy, one-to-one. -one. Uh, it's, it's, during COVID, that's been completely kiboshed and something we'd love to get off the ground again. But the reason I'm telling you that is because Hugo is one of them, and uh, I know for Hugo and for all of the others that have been going in, the school will tell you just what a difference it was making in the lives of those individuals by spending literally, well, I was, I seem about 20 minutes. Kathy Cavan goes in and gives each kid at least an hour, but that's Kathy Cavan. Uh, and, um, and it's, uh, at first I was calling, and, and it is called a mentoring pro, um, program or whatever. But actually what it really is, is it's just being fatherly or being motherly, really. That, that's kind of the role. There's, there's, no, there's no formula. It's just about spending time with individuals. And so as we sort of bring this to a conclusion, who is it that God's called you to do this with? Outside of your own children, those of you who are mums and dads, who is it that God has specifically entrusted or put into your life or has been speaking to you about, about spending time with loving, caring, being a mum, being a dad too? And as I was just thinking about these words just there as Hugo was talking, I, I'm, I'm aware there's some teenagers in the room. And this is for you too. Um, you'll be great mums and dads at some point in your life, I'm sure those of you who are here or those who are watching, but the wee ones, they look to you now already as well. And there's a role and there's a responsibility. 
as we look outside culture and society, there's so much need. It's not going to be fixed by some pol political thing, some whizzy initiative that gets loads of money thrown at it, although initiatives and programs do have their place and are brilliant. But a lot of it is just going to come by simply faithful men and women taking the call of God really, really seriously and just being mums and dads. The church is a family. We're called to be a family. And we are inviting you. This is the invitation. Who is God speaking to you about? You, many of you are already doing it. But who has he put into your path, entrusted into your care to deliberately spend time with, to invest and give your life?